The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Hello and welcome to the Massage Podcast. We're right on schedule with episode 22. I'm your host, Dawn Adkins, along with Elaine Kalenda, our massage expert, and our brilliant producer, Jorge Cisneros. If you need to find us, you can find us at massagepodcast.com. If you'd like to send us an email, we have a contact page. You can also leave a voicemail or send a text message to 303-656-9860. Come chat with us during live recordings. And also, as with everyone else these days, even Twinkies, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today, we get uh, the lucky break again to have Nate Butrin as our guest today. And Nate Butrin, in case he's been on the show once before, and in case uh, those of you don't know of him, he's been doing massage for approximately 12 years now. He's an instructor at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy and has a very successful private practice. He is here to share his wisdom on assessment, which is something I think all of us need to think more about because especially if you're really busy, they come and go, bam, 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 and we don't think about assessment. Hello, Nate, and thank you. Hello, Don. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, Nate, it's great to have you back because when we were doing our show last time, we got to towards the end there and then I felt like there was some, you know, there was a lot more that you could talk about as far as assessment and uh, postural assessment, gait assessment, these things that it's great to have those few extra minutes with a client uh, to examine because it gives you that much more information. So uh, I wanted to just tell us about um, the way you go about it and how it helps you in your practice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, I think to, to start off by talking about it, I find that the challenge with most therapists as, as they get into their private practice, once they exit school, um, most students do learn assessment in massage school. Um, pretty much every school in the country teaches some form of posture or range of motion or gait or muscle testing. So it's, it's being taught, but I don't think it's being utilized in the profession enough, as Don said. Um, why, so do you, why do you think that is, though? I, I think what Don said, you know, once you're busy and you're seeing mm-hmm. 15, 20 clients a week, they're in and out the door real quick and just falls by the wayside. And I, I don't exactly know why. Um, out of sight, out of mind, I think. Um, maybe no continuing education on it. it. I'm sure there's various reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think timing may be the, the biggest one. Oh, yeah. Also, um, sometimes I question how often students are really utilizing it, you know, while they're still in school mm-hmm. as well outside of the classroom. Okay. What is assessment? Um, well, assessment is any massage tool um, that's going to help you gather more information uh, as far as how to treat your client and, and what's possibly going on with them. I'm a big fan of assessment um, simply because I know that in the massage field, and you can agree with this, there's a lot of um, techniques out there. Mm-hmm. And I find that a lot of therapists run across the country trying to find the next new great technique that's going to miraculously solve all of their clients' ailments. When in reality, if, if you took 
the basic fundamental Swedish massage strokes and you knew how and where to apply them, I think you could help most people most of the time. So mm-hmm. it, it, technique is, in my opinion, in a lot of cases, it, it is a little over exaggerated. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if you start with a sound assessment and apply the stuff you already know, you're probably going to be very successful. Okay. Now here's the thing with the technique um, thing is, yeah, it's great to know a lot of techniques. And you know, every time you study with a new teacher, he or she's going to show you something that you say, wow, that, that really can add to my practice. Yes. So we're not saying that learning more techniques is a bad thing, but that if you do that, and at the same time, forget the basics mm-hmm. that your clients losing out in a way. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there where we've had maybe an hour of really technical work. How do you walk out of that session? I never walk out feeling whole. Exactly. I always feel like a part uh, has been, you know, examined and, and put, through the, uh, put through the grinder, but then I don't feel the rest of my body. Yeah. So what are your, um, so we're talking about assessment. What, what exactly are you, are, where do you start with assessment? So a client walks in, they say, my God, my, my back is killing me. I can't sleep or whatever. And so what is, what is your first, what is your first assessment? Where do you start? Yeah, um, I definitely start with posture. And, mm-hmm. and the one thing that, I emphasize to first-time clients when they call me is um, I offer 15 minutes additional time on their first session free of charge so that I can get the information that I want. And it's 10 to 15 minutes. It depends on how long um, it takes. I I want to be able to to fully see what's going on with them and also educate the client Mm -hmm. as well because empowerment, you know, the body is, is huge and a lot of clients don't have that either. So what client comes in complaining of back, neck, pain. Um, I always start with a postural analysis, a a general postural analysis, um, from head to toe, um, primarily for time constraints, obviously. Um, I've, I focus mainly on the area that will be affecting their primary subjective complaint first. Mm -hmm. And then after I do a, um, postural analysis, um, sometimes if it's applicable, if it's more lower half of the body, I'll do a gait analysis, Mm -hmm. which essentially is just moving posture. Um, so if they have a little hitch in their giddy up and do a little gait analysis, um, especially with athletes as well. Um, but even just general clients with knee replacements, hip replacements, um, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do some form of range of motion, whether it be passive range of motion, active range of motion, or resisted range of motion. But the key with, I think, active range of motion, you kind of have to have the client do pre-session but the science to doing a good assessment is you can do assessment on the table. You can yeah. do table postural analysis when they're laying down non-weight bearing. You can do PROM while they're on the table. You can do resisted tests while they're on the table. And I always joke that when the client's naked and horizontal, that's massage time. And the mm-hmm. more time they're clothed and vertical mm-hmm. and not receiving massage, mm-hmm. they don't feel like they have to. It's not massage to the average client. That's correct. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point that you can do a lot on the table. Now, do you have your clients um, dress a certain way uh, if they're a little shy or do you have them wear shorts, bathing suit or something for postural assessment? I, I honestly go with um, whatever they show Their up with. Their comfort yep. level? Yeah. If that first session, I find that it's going to be something that's going to involve a lot of hip range of motion. Um, that's a little more challenging with a draping procedure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll then be cued in to ask them next time to bring shorts, running shorts every time they come in, something along those lines. But the mm-hmm. first visit, I just treat them as is and 
find out where I can go. We can do a lot of really good work um, visually, but if someone's wearing jeans and a sweater, um, you got to trust your palpation skills to find the bony landmarks and measure that way, which is also another assessment skill. That's that, true. That falls. It's underutilized. Well. I, th- I, I do believe that. And we put so much emphasis on that skill, learning the muscle origins, assertions, building on the mannequin, uh, and then going right into palpation. But how much of that are they really using out there? I think that's a, a good amount of, you have to. You I mean, you get to a certain point where you really have to use your palpation skills as well. And that's in a form of assessment as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So the, um, in your setup, do you depend on a plumb line and a grid? Or can you now, I mean, do you need that? Or do you like that? Use it or I just do not have a plumb it? line or a, a grid. Mm-hmm. I, I completely eyeball it. Um, yeah, I always do too. But for you think that might be good for a beginner to have those tools? Yeah, if if there's space for it mm-hmm. in in the massage office or in the waiting room or something along those lines, um, I've I've had some clients that have been very interested in having a digital photo taken of them. Mm-hmm. So before and after pictures, kind of like what we do at BCMT. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. class. Right. But I've taken that into my practice for some clients that were a little bit more interested um, in it. I work out of Pace West Therapy in Boulder with um, some really well-known PTs in Boulder, and they do a lot of job site evaluations mm-hmm. um, for workman's comp cases. So to look at those pictures as well, and if I ever work on their clients, I get to um, visualize that as well. So... That's great. You know, we had a student recently do a case report, and he uh, came up with an ingenious way of creating his own, um, what do you call those, uh, grids. But because he didn't have a grid, he just used a, a ruler and measured, like almost like a chalk line thing before and after. Oh, it was great. It was He just used a whiteboard. Oh, wow. And then he could uh, number it, date it, take the photograph, and then he could come back to that every couple of weeks. So that's a real simple, easy, uh, yeah, cheap, cheaper way once you get the board up. And a whiteboard is always a good thing to have in the office anyway to make your diagrams for people and, you know, write down vitamins uh, that, uh, not vitamins, what I'm thinking of is uh, to write down, um, you know, ergonomic things like what kind of pillow to buy, a car seat yeah. that you recommend, a pillow. I just said that, um, you know, things that we, because when they see it, then they, they more easily remember. A lot of people write things down or you give them a handout. Absolutely. And speaking of handouts, um, as far as massage, uh, post-session, now this is what I found, that if I give them something to take home with them, a little picture of a stretch or something like this, that they're, first of all, more likely to do the stretch. Yes. <clears throat> and second of all, to remember it better. Do you do, do you give handouts or things like that? I don't have handouts myself. I've, I've gone back and forth with wanting to cut and paste, you know, different images. I know that the most popular book is that Bob Anderson stretching book. It's, it's very simple. Yeah. Very efficient for 17 bucks. Right. Um, it's a really good book. Um, Bob Anderson. And what's the name of that book? Stretching. Stretching. Oh, I have that book. Yeah. Classic. Mm -hmm. Everyone has that book. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. for 17 bucks, it's the most bang for your buck and Mm -hmm. we're not all yogis out there. So we don't have all of the, the great, um, stretches, but as far as self care goes, um, I always demonstrate. Sit down on the floor with my client right. and do it with them, so that they, I know that they're doing it right, so they they don't come up with their own wild way of doing yeah. it. That's yeah, this is what themselves. I've been doing, and it's uh, really hurting. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's see what you're doing. Exactly. Oh yeah. It seems that assessment too is not just beneficial for being an effective therapist, but also for building your practice because you're spending that extra time to show that you care. Mm-hmm. And to really formulate a plan 
and say, well, you know, it'd be great. We could probably, you know, it'd be good if you came back maybe in two weeks and we can continue to work on this, reassess them and they can see the results. And I think, um, do you have a class, maybe like a continuing education refresher on assessment? Maybe that'd be a good idea to do a little CEU kind of thing. I do custom continuing education classes. If there's enough interest in a group, people can always contact me at BCMT and I do custom classes on my own mm-hmm. um, out of the PT office. Mm. Um, I, have, I have a cervical class that I run. I have an upper extremity class that I run and assessment is a good one. And I think you bring up a really good point um, that the, the post-assessment component and if you think of a soap chart, the plan, I think that's the most underutilized part of a soap yeah. chart as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. We're talking about self-care. So assessment mm-hmm. isn't just pre-assessment. I find that teaching the students all the time that they're really good about doing pre-assessment and they'll hand in a soap chart assignment with this great pre-assessment on posture and range of motion and all these great things. But then there's the post-assessment box completely blank. Uh-huh. And it takes you going in after the session, re-asking those questions, rechecking them out. And then from that on the spot in a split second, coming up with a self-care recommendation, whether it be a stretch or an isometric strengthening foam roller, tennis ball, and whatever you want to do. I mean, the mm-hmm. possibilities are endless and we're not, we're not overstepping any boundaries from a um, modality perspective. We're not trying to be PTs, but there are some basic stretches and strengthening exercises and self-care things that we can give to people. And yeah. I think that plan, that P on a soap chart is, is where the magic happens. And I think that's how you define a successful therapist versus a not so successful therapist in the long term. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do massage for two or three years, but surprise, surprise, that's the, I think that's the number where most people fall three off. Three to five it. years, yeah. yeah. The average span is three to five years. And, you know, you talk to former students and I'm sure some of your classmates, Don and Jorge, you guys mm-hmm. graduated a decade ago, right? Yeah. You know, I'm sure that there's a majority of people that aren't practicing anymore. And some people it's burnout, some people it's physical, some people it's mental, some people it's just financial. They weren't making the money. But I think if you really care about your client, as soon as they walk in the door and by the time they leave the door and all points in between, not just when they're on the table, I mean, the magic happens from the moment they walk in the door and leave, not just table time. And I think that's a misconception about what massage can be. Right. And I can tell you that I, be- I definitely built my reputation on that doing postural stuff from the day I left BCMT. Yeah, you were always really into it and really got it from the beginning. And the magic happens when you're on the phone making the first appointment. Um, So uh, can you give uh, now, oh, I just wanted to ask you also, do you give then hour sessions or 50 minutes so that you have the time on either end? It's a 60-minute session. And so that first visit is definitely extra time on the house, so to speak. That's great. Um, so that's on me. But then after that, it's, it's definitely, you know, up to me as a therapist. And I think this is the science of uh, a sound assessment is being efficient with your timing because I don't want to spend 10 minutes every session doing assessment and have mm-hmm. my client only 50 minutes of soft tissue work. Um, so once you get that really, I think that first session is the most important. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you, you know, if depends if it's a motor vehicle accident client or somebody that's coming in on an insurance case, um, if you check in with them every say six visits or something, but my average client, um, I, I get it to the point where they can come in, talk to them for one, two, one, maybe two minutes, mm-hmm. get them on the table. And then afterwards one, maybe two minutes and get them out. So they're right. still getting, 
you know, 57 minutes on the table. Right. Good. Because you, you know what you're looking for at that point. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and But it all starts with that first baseline session, I, mm-hmm. I think, is where you kind of set up your entire treatment plan. And, you know, we all see clients. Some people, I, I've seen clients for all 12 years of my practice. Mm-hmm. And I still, from time to time, check in on them. And, and you know, it, the thing with assessment, it, it's, it can get tricky, especially with range of motion when it's about numbers, because we get lost in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I don't check every single time because I don't want to get discouraged. I don't want, I don't want my client to get, to get discouraged, discouraged right? if they're not improving in the matter of a week. Mm-hmm. It, this is healing that takes a little bit of time. Right. So, and, there, and it's normal to have almost like a, uh, you know, a relapse. Yeah, it's like part, Mencken, part, right? Yeah. Got to get worse yeah. before you get better. Exactly. So, so uh, do you do uh, anything with like TheraBand, TheraTubing? Do you mm-hmm. uh, give those things out or? Yep. If, if we're talking about them? basic isometric strengthening, like yeah. I said, if you spend enough time around a good PT or if, you know, I've injured myself enough times to know yeah, right. en- enough tricks of the trade. Um, once again, it's not overstepping any boundaries in, in my opinion. Um, you know, I ask the PT questions before I, I give these things out and then I always recommend to my client if if it's causing more pain or if you're seeing another practitioner, a chiropractor or a PT or an osteo, you know, double check with them first before doing this exercise. But yeah, monster walks with TheraBands, resistant, basic resistance exercises to strengthen the tib anterior and tib posterior if we're talking lower leg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a measuring tool. You go from light yellow yeah, to what uh, is the black. black is the strongest of one. Course. So they, I was looking up at your shelves going, when am I going to get to blue? You know, it's kind yeah. of an encouraging Absolutely. thing. That's what I used to find with TheraBand or TheraTubing. And uh, just a simple resistance, very safe. Mm-hmm. It, I have found it to be very safe. Very few people got, uh, you know, got um, sore with using those because yeah. it's a nice um, material to use. It's uh, So it sounds like you have a team of other professionals that you refer to quite often. Did you spend some time with a PT? Did you mention that? Um, yeah, I, I work in the PT office. I've I've worked oh, okay. with yeah for okay. five years now. I've been and so that's who you're months. talking about exercise and yeah. specific yeah. stuff. And, and, and you that's... don't want to step on anyone's toes, but at the same time, you don't want to just uh, stifle yourself because you think you're going to be, you know, overstepping your um, uh, scope of practice. Uh, I worked with PTs too, and after a while, they get to trust you and know your work. Uh, then you know you can you blend. The blend therapies, I think it's a very great combination. It's an excellent, uh, it's an excellent combination. And I think there, there comes the point at which working with these other healthcare practitioners, um, my, my biggest pet peeve is when they say, quote unquote, just massage. Mm -hmm. So when I, when my, when my, um, clients are like, oh yeah, my doctor said, oh yeah, fine. Massage is fine. Do massage. You know, they don't understand what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, And Mm -hmm. they're, they're thinking what, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I do is probably considered more neuromuscular therapy. So if a PT is doing muscle energy techniques, I'm also doing muscle energy techniques. So I want to talk to that PT Mm -hmm. to make sure we're not over treating them. If that client's getting Mm -hmm. trigger point dry needled, I'm doing manual trigger point therapy. So they're similar techniques. They just are done by different practitioners. And I don't think the, um, it's getting better, especially living in Boulder. I can't speak for the rest of the country, but sometimes I wonder when, these other healthcare practitioners hear their clients say, oh, I'm going to get massage. Massage is so varied. Do they really know what type of treatment that client's getting from a massage therapist? Mm-hmm. Is it specific neuromuscular work or is it a Swedish massage? So it's, yeah. it's always a good discussion to have. I have a question for you, Nate. Yeah. Um, once that Elaine was talking about TheraBands and all these different tools, I have seen with uh, nowadays with some athletes, 
these bands that kind of uh, they they stick to sometimes to their knees. Oh, or kinesiotape. Or, uh, kinesiotape. Yeah. Uh, what is the purpose of these materials, and uh, can we, as massage therapists, recommend them to our clients? Um. Yeah. We. I th I'm pretty sure that we can. And There's I'm, a and, class you have to get certified in. Yeah. And it's very short. Mm -hmm. And get the training. If you understand the fascial restrictions in the body, that's what it's for: is to open up the fascia and increase the lymphatic flow and keep um, the pooling of the lymph from swelling in an area um, so that you can go and work and still exercise um, without the pain. And Do you use it? I have many times, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's helped for Achilles, it's helped for calves, and it just opens up the fascia just enough to create a little bit of stretch in that fascia and once again to open up the lymphatic system so you're not tightening up, cramping straining during the activity and the, and the so it's a little pull up. automatic myofascial release type well, of send them home with yeah it's an elastic tape it's the most comfortable tape you can wear because yes. it has give so it's almost like it's a living uh with your living tissue it's not just this uh you know the tape that they've been using is so restrictive which has its own uses and it is uh you know effective uh but this is a whole different uh, ball game this is a really good addition too yeah, and it lasts for three to five days. It can get wet. You can yeah. shower with it, and it can, you know, just reapply it. And then I know that with the PTs, are are really big on kinesio tape in, in the office I work at. And eventually, you know, the clients buy a roll of it, and they get taught how to kind of do it themselves once they've been taped up by the PT enough times. They get the basic gist if it does fall off and they don't have a session for two weeks, how to reapply it, at least buy them some time. Kinesio tape, wonderful stuff. Okay, could you uh, give us an example or two or three of, you know, how assessment plays into your practice and how it helps, how you think it helps to combat that just massage thing? And by the way, uh, you know, just massage, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> I do hear that a lot and I do fi I find it, you know, a little irritating because we've said this before on the show, but just massage is sometimes what a lot of people need. It's oh, just massage. They don't need to be taken into all their places fixed. sometimes and fixed in this because if they're not relaxed, they're just not going to heal no matter how fancy your techniques are. I'm sorry. Physiologically, it's impossible to heal in that, you know, in that very challenging session where you feel like you're getting uh, over treated. Yes. So, um, yeah, the, there's the balance. There. The last week we had Jim Burns about our orthobiotomy, our last show, and he mentioned that uh, he said... Yeah, we don't go in there to change somebody. We go in there and assist them to help heal on their own. We give them the guidance. Mm -hmm. but And just massage is how we feel. Just our, massage, we, yeah. We, we identify with our own sort of neuro matrix, you know, our, our whole body. Absolutely. You can't, it's not even healthy to do exercise and, until you have a self-sense of where you are in space until you're proprioceptively put together. Since a lot of people are just besides themselves and they don't, they have a terrible sense of space. And uh, so if you, over, again, if you over treat, if you just treat just one side of their body, say, and let them go for a couple of weeks, they're, you know, they're not going to take that whole, the brain is not going to perceive a holistic uh, a body to work with for the rest of that time. Because we know that massage and, and body work does, doesn't just last an hour. It lasts, the effects of it last for days, yeah. sometimes weeks. And in that headache study, we found that six months to a year later, people were having less headaches. That was a, that's a long-term effect. Mm -hmm. and, and those people also talked to us. We didn't ask the questions, but a lot of those um, 
patients in the headache study were reporting better posture. They felt like they were sitting more upright. They could see and, better. Yeah. And so <laughs> you, the question you were, you were um, asking there, how do I use it in my practice? I think you, you answered it. It is a form of awareness for the client. It's, it's extremely powerful. I mean, it's their vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, I don't like to fix anybody. I'm just a facilitator in all this, you know, mm-hmm. I want them to be able to have the keys to their own car and their own vehicle and drive it around. You know, I'll just, I'm just giving them, you know, better way to do it. Um, so I think posture is, is a huge embodiment issue um, for a lot of clients and postural awareness. Most people can correct themselves, as you said, proprioceptively in the orthobionomy is very similar to that, where you're just resetting proprioceptors very subtly, which is amazing and, and, to see the results and for clients to see results not getting poked and prodded and elbowed all the time. It doesn't (laughs) have to be that, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, I think that's one of the best ways in which posture works in my practice is that if, if you really look at the right things and you, and you put it together like that puzzle, things should just fall into place. I always think of that rolfing model of the little block boy. And, And when something's a little bit out, it kind of throws off the whole kinetic chain. You know, if you can just, if you can just help support and, you know, quote unquote, correct one area, a lot of times your work is so much easier and you're not having left, you're not left to over treat somebody, which mm-hmm. definitely does happen in the profession. It sounds like it's a good way to uh, initially connect with someone too mm-hmm. and co- create trust connection and they feel confident that you know what you're doing. Everybody mm-hmm. has posture. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're a Cirque du Soleil performer or if you're mm-hmm. a yoga instructor. I mean, if you look at, I'm not picking on yoga instructors, but you would think that someone who does yoga seven days a week, if not more, um, would have perfect posture, but they still have a body type, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. everyone's got something. Yeah. Whether something be, hereditary, something physical to overcome. Ergonomic, emotional. I mean, mm-hmm. when we're talking assessment, you're diving into all sorts of different, I mean, we can take that on all sorts of levels. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Well, speaking of proprioception and a sense of body awareness, um, uh, do you find a lot of your clientele may um, be affected by things like ibuprofen and their and different drugs they're taking that, that where they lose a sense of, you know, their body and the amount of pain they're having? I'll talk a little bit about that because I think that's an important thing too, to not just know if your client's taking over-the-counter or otherwise uh, medication, drugs, even supplements. Um, do you get that in your health history? Do you ask them about... With medications, medications, absolutely. Are, and do do you, do you find a difference between the people who are taking some type of over the counter? Right, you know, I know that you work with people who take a lot of ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is just <laughs> like candy to people, and Vitamin they don't I. they don't seem to know that how much it affects not just their stomach, but um, you know, it causes a lot of problems there. But but how they feel, what kind of information they're giving you based on how they feel or don't feel, yeah. for that matter. It's it's a false sense of security in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know. Because I call it fabric softener for your brain. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is a good discussion to have because if you're talking, say, maybe not posturally speaking, but range of motion from a range of motion perspective. Mm-hmm. Last week, their shoulder, they were raising it up, got to ninety degrees, and they had moderate to severe pain. And this week, they raise it up a little further with less pain. And you're thinking, oh, all that self care, the massage is helping, but they just downed four ibuprofen before your session. So they're able to do it with less pain, but that's, you know, it, it's, it's masked. Right. And so it's, it's very important to ask your client that. And just like asking them if they're doing their self-care and their homework, 
you know, call them out on what, you know, what else they're putting in their bodies, not to shun them, but just to know as a, as a therapist, what you're up against. And so you're not getting false, um, positive results either. Right. It's a responsible thing to do to Mm -hmm. know to that. And hopefully they're telling you, I'm sure some people, you know, don't want to divulge that information, but. But if it's something simple like Celebrex or ibuprofen, maybe, you know, Vicodin, if they're in Mm -hmm. severe pain, if it's, if, Mm -hmm. if it's more acute, you know, that's, I feel like, I feel like most of my clients have been very forthcoming with that. Good. Um, there's no secrets, mm-hmm. uh, but I could see where some people would, but it's just good for us to know. Okay. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago at the school, you came in with your computer, with your laptop, and you were showing me this amazing, amazing gait assessment. Um, could you talk about that? Yeah. That was the coolest thing yeah, I've seen excellent. in a long time. Yeah. So one of my elite runners, Jorge Torres, um, he's an Olympic 10K runner now. He's transitioned to the marathon in his old age of 30, um, <laughs> as most runners do. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to Baylor University and he runs for Reebok and they paid for a $6,000 um, electronic gait analysis oh where they God. put electrodes all across his body and had him run around a track and videotaped him. And it's the most amazing, you know, when you see a real heavy duty gait analysis. I mean, I've had one done for $300 where they just videotaped me on a treadmill and said I looked fine. Right. After this 10 minutes. This was like Hollywood the, 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 special the, effects. Yeah, this, the, this was like a, a 3D grid of just his skeletal system. And you could see how the pelvis moves, that 40 degree of pelvic rotation. From the side, yeah. from above. You could go underneath and look at how his foot was hitting the ground. And it measured the amount of dorsiflexion at heel strike, you know, I, the amount of force during push-off, during the toe-off phase. You know, and was you this could, a demonstration that you saw or is this a tool you're using now? I'm, I use oh. it as a teaching tool um, I, during, yeah, when we're teaching gait but analysis. But not for assessment for your school. own. Oh my gosh, it's too expensive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That'd be great uh, if, huh, if we could do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, 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 we do gait analysis. We, we definitely spend some time doing that. But this is to show how extreme it can be. I mean, gait analysis, we spend a whole four hours, mm-hmm. you know, at the school mm-hmm. on it, maybe five. When in reality, and we could have a whole 30 hour class on gait alone. Right. You know, because that's so complex. Yeah, it's so complex. But it's also if you think about static posture, a lot of the jobs that people have, they come in our office, they're computer workers, they're on their feet all day long. So a lot of it is more static posture. But you also got to think of moving posture as well, which is gait. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got to teach, you got to learn both. Um, But that 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 video is (laughs) is so absolutely amazing. You can just learn so much. Just every time I've had that for seven, eight years and every time I show a group of students that. I pick up something different and it's mm-hmm. just so neat to be able to see that. Is that video available to the public? It is not. Unfortunately. No, bad. It is yeah. not. If you came to BCMT, if, <laughs> if you ever wanted to, you could come up to the school. We have multiple copies now. Um, I'm more than happy to, you know, have a couple people sit down at the computer and just kind of show it to people for sure. And we should just have it playing in the lobby at all times. Yeah. It's so amazing. I'm pretty sure in the, in these days screen of saver. YouTube, I'm sure, yeah, it's, 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 it would be an excellent screensaver, yeah. but I'm sure in, in this day and age of YouTube, I'm sure that there's got to be some yeah. biomechanical gait analysis online. That you can, if you can see surgeries, yeah. you can see yeah. a gait analysis you can just see, without the name. Mm-hmm. You can see... All kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, there's this yeah. really, really, there's a real brilliant one. I don't know the exact um, site name, but it's the foot hitting the ground. And just just how the, the heel, from heel strike to toe off, and it shows it in like an electric blue. Yeah. We have that for the um, for the lower extremity class. Oh, great. Uh, I play that all the time. It comes up on the PowerPoint. But it, it is, it, we will sit and watch it for 30 seconds, a, a minute, and uh, students want to see it played again and again because every time that heel strikes the ground you you pick up something else about 
the gait, something that we do every day, millions of steps a day, and we, we take for granted. Now, let's go to the foot for a minute because I think the feet oh, yeah. are, you know, and and um, talk to me a little bit, talk to us a little bit about uh, footwear. What's your opinion about like flip-flops and these uh, high heels? And, and the new running shoes. The, the, the toe shoes. That mm-hmm. Well, I know your my, opinion on flip-flops, Elaine. Well, um, you've been tackling probably students everybody in the hallway does. for years. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, at school, in public places, I think it's just a safety issue at the school. They're carrying heavy massage tables. Oh, I they're know. walking, you know. Give you a hard time. So I know, but <laughs> it's not. They're not very supportive. They're fun to wear at the beach. They're fun to wear, yes. you know, when you're vacationing. And there's a place for them. I mm-hmm. think there's that footwear has its place, and not that I want them all in in running shoes or anything. I don't mind that they're. You know, they, it's fashion's important. I, I'm nothing against it, but they do also make the feet very dirty and smelly. And in a massage school, you know, your people are working on your you're feet, touching feet. Yeah, it's gross. That's just the same thing to me as not letting them go, walk into the bathroom barefoot. Yeah. Let's hear your thought on shoes, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut me yes. off. Cut me. Off. Don't um, ask me that question ever again. I should probably should have wore shoes today. Um, so <laughs> sitting is, here is, with a bunch of hippies. Yeah, pretty much more bolder. Oh, um, straight off a fish tour. Um, <laughs> so as far as footwear goes, it's so individual. It's kind of like asking what type of pillow should I sleep on? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so clients ask all the time. Yeah, I read that book, Born to Run, which is huge. That really sparked. That it's great. Yeah, it's a yeah. great book, mm-hmm. but it sparked the whole debate about, oh, barefoot running and five, from five fingers. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. And I'm not against that, but some people read that and they just want to throw away their normal trainers and go completely barefoot. And I don't know how many people are biomechanically set up to just all of a sudden switch to barefoot running. I would say a very small percentage of people. Americans anyway. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're from the moment we become bipedal, we want to throw cute little Nikes on our kids. Mm-hmm. It's just an it's, it's American societal thing, I think. Yeah, but and, we walk on even hard surfaces yeah. for the most part. And if you think of, you know, a lot of Ethiopian and Kenyan runners, the reason that they're biomechanically stronger, and, and I've read this in, in multiple articles, is because they don't wear shoes until they're seven or eight, until they've earned them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that think about that. And mm. that's just... It, the strength that they build in that arch and all those intrinsic foot muscles from infant stages through the first years of bipedalism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's no wonder they don't have as many injuries as Americans do because we just throw a crutch in from the moment we walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say whatever works for people works. You know, some people like orthotics, some people like super feet, some people like Vibram five fingers, um, I can tell you that with the running that I do nowadays, I still wear my normal running shoes, but I, you know, after my runs, I go to the park with my dog and I slip my shoes off and I run around the park with him for 15, 20 minutes barefoot. So I did pick that up from the book where if I'm going to wear clunkier running shoes for support while I'm running, at least I'm going to strengthen them when I'm not running so Mm -hmm. that it's not always a crutch under there. Mm-hmm. You maybe suggest uh, some walking barefoot first before you take oh, off absolutely. running. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anything. yeah right. Or, you know, Vibram, maybe a hike yeah. or so. I was talking right. to another instructor at the school, Todd Ackerman, that yeah. switched to Vibrams, and he said that he tried to run a quarter mile, and he was sore for a week. His Achilles hurt for a week just running a quarter mile in him. You know, yeah. so you have to, you're starting at 20, 30, 40 years old from scratch, you know, trying to retrain something that's always had a crutch in there. So, you know, foot. Footwear is so, so, so personal. Um, so I, did, I just say whatever works for you works because it's just funny. I have a lot of clients, you know, especially in Boulder, a lot of athletic clients that are like, oh, should I, should I go barefoot running? I'm like, well, 
you've actually really never been injured in your foot, Achilles, calf. I don't know if it's not broke, don't fix it. If mm-hmm. you want to go out to the park and walk around, walk around barefoot more, great. But to have to switch, you know, if you're, if you're often injured, which is, that was the premise of that book. Right. I was always injured. That's why I switched. Then that's excellent. But, you know, to just try and switch something at 35 years old, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. My feet are very subtle and they have thousands, millions of nerve endings and mm-hmm. proprioceptors and things that you can't just change that overnight. Oh. But I do believe in um, in switching footwear, even if you don't run. I mean, oh, to absolutely. change, to give your foot a variation, because the feet were meant for uneven surfaces, mm-hmm. to walk on this earth, on grass, on, on uh, rocks, on, you know, on different surfaces. That's what really they're built for. I, re- I remember one woman in New York, when I worked in New York, a lot of people don't go barefoot in New York. This lady grew up where she was always in shoes, and her feet were hypersensitive because of that. Yeah. And when she, I worked on her, she was already in her 90s, <laughs> and she was telling me that her mother never let her go barefoot. And as a result, she always had very sensitive feet. And I worked with her, and of course we got, uh, all I did was sit for, you know, 15 minutes each foot and just pressed all over the foot really gently and dorsiflexed her foot, stretched her calves, and her feet, uh, I think it took six treatments or something, and her feet stopped hurting. Uh, but I also, I, I asked her to go over to Central Park and to walk in the grass there, you know, carefully, of course, you know, watching out for the dog poop. But, you know, <laughs> to take her shoes off and walk in the grass. I said, start with like 10 minutes, uh, one day, and then just see how you feel. And it really helped strengthen and mm-hmm. toughen her feet. The feet are also supposed to be tough. Absolutely. You know, so they're very... Um, I love feet. They're good yeah, things yeah. to have, but you got to take care of them. And it's your connection to the earth. And I know you've mentioned this before um, in some class, one form or another. Um, if you think about reflexology, all those right. charts on the bottom of the foot, the relationship to the visceral system and digestion and your you eyes know, and your every everything, whole body, your right? entire body is connected it's mapped to your, out in to the your feet. feet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it all starts there. And so. now, so with all of our the assessments, we've talked about gait, range of motion. Correct. And posture. And now how does muscle testing work in assessment and, and how do you tie them all together? Yeah. So what I had mentioned is, you know, Elaine had asked me the first thing I do is definitely a postural assessment. Um, that's always Mm -hmm. my go-to. Um, and then some active range of motion while they're still clothed. And then once I get them on the table, um, do some passive range of motion of a joint if necessary, just to see how that's moving around. And then, you know, not every session by any means, only maybe a couple of times a week. If a client's complaining of weakness, um, if we're talking about weakness in a specific joint or muscle or pain associated with that, then we'll just, you know, I'll, I'll put the joint in a certain position, have the client hold that position to contract the muscle, and then I'll just resist them. And, you know, I think the the age old adage is 10, 10 to 20% for 10 seconds to see if they can hold it. And pain or discomfort, you know, should be strong. I mean, any muscle should be able to withstand 10% of resistance for 10 seconds. And then you can see if the muscle's weak. And, you know, when we're talking about muscle weakness, now we're talking, now we open up a whole nother can Mm -hmm. of worms. And so Mm -hmm. this is, you know, this is where massage gets fun, in my opinion. And that's why I wanted to talk about this today, because, you know, the burnout factor, you hear about the burnout factor for a lot of people, that mental burnout, if, if you're burning out working on 20 people a week, something's wrong because they're all different. You could put every, you could put 20 people in a bus and get in an accident and they're all going to feel something different and need different therapies. And 
So, you know, as far as the assessment goes with, with the muscular stuff, um, weakness can be proprioceptive. So it can be, you know, some sort of imbalance there. It can be true muscle weakness. It can be a lesion. It can be a nerve entrapment. It can be, I mean, so many things. It can be spinal misalignment or a bony misalignment in the, any of the joints of the body. So muscle testing gives you that much more information. And what to do with that information, once again, therein lies the science. And how do you usually address a, a muscle weakness? Um, well, if you think about techniques like um, muscle activation technique, mm -hmm. what they do is, I mean, the premise of it uh, on its most simplest form is they test something and if it's weak, they cross fiber friction, the attachment sites of that muscle to wake up the Golgi tendon organs. And then they go back and retest the spindle cell. If it tests strong, boom, you know what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, if that doesn't respond, then they go to an agonist. If they don't do that, then they go to an antagonist. So, you know, you can start playing with it. And for clients, so once again, we talked about the embodiment, not just of postural awareness, but if the client's like, yeah, my shoulder's weak here, or my shin is weak when I, you know, they have foot drop, for example. And if you can test it and the client can't hold it, you do all this good work. And sometimes you don't even have to over-treat it. Like two minutes, you can create strength in a muscle. 20 seconds, you can mm -hmm. create strength in a mm -hmm. muscle. And the client's just dumbfounded by how it's been weak, weak, weak. You do 20, 30 seconds of work and all of a sudden it tests strong again. And they have it in their body. They can feel the difference between weak and strong. You know, that excites the client that, you know, you know what you're doing. It gives them hope. It gives them, and it gives them hope that this isn't always going to be weak. This isn't always going to be painful. This isn't always going to be dysfunctional. This does not define me. Mm -hmm. So we can certainly help people with muscle testing on top of that. So, and if you take muscle testing in relationship to posture, think about someone with rounded shoulders or forward head posture, you know, the rhomboids are stretch weakened. We call them stretch weakened and they do test up weak on most people. The lower traps are weak. The levator scapula is weak. Mm -hmm. So you, you, the stretch weakness component of posture and true weakness a lot of times are correlated. And so it's really fun to kind of piece all that together. And that's where then post-session your plan of attack comes in. So we're talking full circle here. So from pre-assessment to middle of the session to sending them out with the, the correct exercises, the correct stretches, you know, you're, you're looking at it from all angles. And I was just talking to a client, a first time client, um, yesterday about it, about, um, having a high hip and on the high hip, usually there's a weak glute medius, not pulling the hip back down. And so I told her before she goes for a run, take the heel of her hand and punch her butt mm -hmm. and wake that sucker up before mm -hmm. she takes her first step running. Will, can it, you know, go weak after 10, 20, 30 minutes? Sure. But at least it was strong for 10, 20, 30 minutes. It right. wasn't weak from the first moment. And can remember changes what that gait. strength is like. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. I mean, you were talking, this is so interconnected. Like, all of it is interconnected. Yes, because that 30 minutes, the brain is engaging Absolutely. with that muscle and doing a lot of self-correction. Yep. And if they're only running for 45 minutes, then that's only 15 minutes that they're running with weakness as opposed to the yeah. whole 45. And there's nothing wrong with giving it a couple more taps when it starts no, to feel weak. All. People can tell when it starts to hike up again. Mm -hmm. They can tell. They can stop and do a stretch yep. uh, on the opposite side to get it to correct again and then go back to the finish the run. And the body yeah. wants homeostasis, so it, right. it learns these things. And through corrective exercise and working with either a knowledgeable massage therapist or a massage therapist, you know, with a PT, with a chiro, with an osteo, you know, whatever, a group of right. practitioners that, that can really yeah. educate that the body. That multidiscipline works so well. And, and if you can identify the weakness for the doctor, then when he or she comes in, boom, 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 they know the adjustments to make also mm -hmm. to get those nerve, because usually there is some kind of nerve entrapment it always comes back to the spine yep. uh, so that, that 
that hitting it from all angles like that is <clears throat> going to make the effects of it last even longer. Yeah. In the old days when I was showing you, you know, how to test the rotator cuff, for instance, and if we found a weak infraspinatus, mm-hmm. we would just grab hold of the fascia there and pull yep. or rub the muscle and it would test strong again. Yeah. For that, if it's only strong for 33 seconds, which is the average that that, that trick lasts, it's, that 33 seconds is the time to do your muscle energy techniques and to mm-hmm. do your uh, strengthening and show them how to do the exercise. And they can do that themselves. Reach back and do that themselves. Rub their own muscles. People say, really, can I do that myself? Yep. Like, yeah, it's your body. I, your you need my permission? Yeah. You got my permission to rub your own body. Okay. <laughs> Touch yourself professionally. You won't go blind. That's, that's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a new one. All right. We have a little bit more time left on. I'm, I just, you have so many examples. I don't know if you can think of, uh, again, one or two more of your um, clients to talk about that you, you know, because you've been in practice 12 and a half years. You've got a lot of probably, you know, hundreds of people to think about. But in this area of assessment and uh, then treatment and, and follow through with the self-care Name some examples of how powerful that, that self-care aspect is. Well, you mentioned the headache study. So take take the average client that has forward head posture, which is probably 75% or more of people that we treat. Um, so whether that be an ergonomic thing from from work mm-hmm. at a computer or just, you know, lack of postural reflex um, or multiple car accidents from the mm-hmm. overstretching. Yeah. Um, you know, people lose that proprioceptive input. So now the the neck is stuck in a forward head position and the SCM and suboccipitals and upper traps tighten. And guess which three muscles trigger points mm-hmm. mimic most headaches, right. upper trap, SCM and suboccipitals. So, you know, I think without looking at posture, for example, and without trying to retrain some of these muscles, if you just continually trigger point the upper trap, SCM and suboccipitals, it's just not enough. It, it gets them good to a point, mm-hmm. but without strengthening, maybe cross fiber frictioning, um, the levator scapula without, um, giving them some isometric wall angels or neck strengthening against the wall to then strengthen those other ones. I always, the analogy I use is, you know, the SCM and the muscles that are short and tight are like the bully always taking the lunch money mm-hmm. and the levator scap and the rhomboids are the, the kid that gets his lunch money taken all the time until he fights back. Right. Nothing's going to happen. Right. I mean, it's just going to same old story every day. And then finally you give, you give the lev scap and the rhomboids a voice. Right. They fight back all of a sudden. Now you now things start kind of clicking. Now the SCM's less hypertonic. Now muscles are less ischemic and, Less hypertonicity, less ischemia, usually means less trigger points. Now, less headaches. Right. So you you, you just kind of go systematically through that. And you can even take that headache example and that forward head posture. The next joint up is the TMJ. Because as soon as the forward head, you know, as soon as the cervical spine goes forward, the jaw retracts right. to kind of counterbalance it just like anything in the body. So now you're talking not only forward head for headaches, now you're talking possible TMJ. TMJ. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a good upper extremity example um, not to mention somebody with rounded shoulders, um, rounded shoulders, kyphosis. Yeah, they go you know, together a lot of they, times, they go together. all of those. Yeah. And then if you think about what conditions longer term that those can cause, we're talking about something like a thoracic outlet syndrome and closing off of the brachial plexus and the anterior body. Right. So, you know, we're talking nerve entrapment and major, you know, and TOS is, you know, miss diagnosed frequently carpal tunnel is misdiagnosed all the time when really it's TOS. Right. Person had car accident. They have some weakness in the back. 
posterior muscles and they're tight in the front, you know. But right. If but you the minute they touch stuff, their wrist, they're right away carpal tunnel. Yeah, exactly. Thoracic is overlooked. Yeah, it, it's it's often overlooked. But if you think about it, another posture that's often overlooked is thoracic breathing, uh-huh. which ties in with rounded shoulders and right and, and, and all these accessory well. breathing muscles. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and then as far as you know, you think about posture. Let's go lower body. If you think about you were asking about foot mechanics, you know, pronation, supination. It's going to take a long time to try and retrain. You can definitely get some therabands, going back to your theraband example, theraband, the tib anterior, mm-hmm. the tib post, the peroneals, mm-hmm. and get all those lower leg muscles, the anatomical stirrup, trying to pull that metatarsal back up. Yeah, yeah and get those mm-hmm. nice and strong again so that the foot doesn't always pronate when you land. And that shows up a lot of times, that pronation and that foot weakness shows up in gait. If you look at a basic treadmill, if you go to any running store in Boulder, they're going to put you on a treadmill and videotape your knee down. So I even just send clients there just because there's they can see a videotape of their own lower leg. Yeah, that very, only tells part of the story, but it's yeah. it, it's a start. Very helpful. It's better though, than what they were to see yourself. Before. When else? Yeah. How else are you ever going to see yourself running? Exactly. Except you run in front of a mirror. I always recommended that too. Mm-hmm. Looking in a mirror though is kind of difficult to really see yourself. Yeah, because you're bound, your head's bouncing. The video up is yeah. well, you're looking at yourself. Yeah, in the mirror, it's I don't know. I just. Mm-hmm. Seems more difficult, but, but if you look at one joint at a time, I think mm-hmm. that's what helps the client. They can just see the just see the ankle, and they're right. like, okay, mm-hmm. that does not look right. That my right <laughs> yeah. foot's doing that, and my left, left looks is, good. Yeah. Right. So you know, it's that same kind of thing because then you have pronation, which usually lends lends itself to if someone pronates in their ankle foot, most of the time, you know, they don't have foot issues with that. Maybe a plantar fascia because it's getting overstretched. They could have Achilles tendonitis based on that. They could be genuvalgum, so they're stressing their medial knee, or it mm-hmm. transmits all the way up to the SI joint pain. Mm-hmm. So client comes in with low back pain. You know, most people who aren't thinking big picture aren't looking at posture and looking at the whole body, just tackle the low back. And yeah. they're right half the time. That's great, but you know, there's also fifty percent of the fifty percent yeah. of the time you're that's not good odds. I'm a Vegas guy. You know, I'm I'm not going to 50%. That's a crapshoot. Yeah. And, and the tie in between TMJ and, and flat feet is also there. That's a lot of people don't put those two together. Who did a, who did a case study on that? Chris, right? Yeah. I did a case study in the relationship of flat feet uh, to TMJ. And tinnitus. And tinnitus. That's right. So in the inner ear. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's all connected. We know that. On and on. Mm -hmm. This, um, the 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 placement of the feet too no there's not anybody i think out there running and stuff that if they see that one foot turns out more than the other can't look down once in a while during their run and make a little correction it makes a big difference yep. and i was just talking to that that client i was talking about with the high hip i asked her if she towed out and if she was aware of that when she ran and she's like yep my coach has told me that and mm-hmm. i have to be aware to pull my toe back in. And then where does she feel it? She feels it in her in TFL, knee, in her TFL yeah. because she's trying to immediately rotate from a lateral mm-hmm. rotation. But so, that will pass after a while. Yeah, That'll but correct. she's aware of it and she's uh-huh. able to make the correction on the fly. And she's running 130 miles a week, Jeez. training for marathons, you uh-huh. know? So we're talking about, you know, and she just turned 30 and we were having that discussion yeah. about, man, when I was 20, I didn't have any of these issues. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you probably towed out. It just didn't flare up as much as it does right. every five years you get older. Every year we get older, I guess. <laughs> it affects us a little bit more, so, <laughs> as I'm finding. So, Nate, every every week we have a tip of the week for our listeners, and we'd like to uh, pick your brain 
as to what you think uh, you'd like to share with us for a tip of the week. All right. Well, last, last time it was a hobby and going to see fish concerts, which I yeah. just saw five more down south. But oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a new tip. And I still got eight more to go this summer. So oh, okay. It's got, it's got a busy schedule. But, but I'm going to Lake Tahoe. So the second part, I'm going to combine that trip with get lost into the wild. Go reconnect with Mother Nature. Go out for a hike. Take your dog. Camp. Do something. Get, get unplugged. Like oh my really goodness. As a former New Yorker, that's so scary to me. But uh, yeah, it is It is true to get outside, see that big sky. Mm-hmm. A lot of us spend a lot of time indoors. It's just massage therapists. A lot of us are spending time in caves. Yeah. And, so. outside, and outside of Boulder too. I mean, like go away for a day because you can hike in Boulder, but then you still look down on the city and there's your office, mm-hmm. there's your house. There's still reality. A lot of yeah. people. But you need to get, you need, I think people need to get lost. Well, you run into more. a client and they yeah. can ask you a million questions. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, get away from get um, away from escape. it all. This, the uh, weather is beautiful. And, even skiing right. sometimes. Uh, I'll be on Loveland or Keystone or E-Basin, and you can hear the freeway. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even then. Well, there's skiing in bikinis the other day. Oh. <laughs> is A-Basin still open? Yeah. Oh they gosh. put some snow up there, and they were skiing in bikinis. Oh, it was wonderful. I have one question for Nate. Yeah. Last time you were here, some people were complaining that they couldn't find you anywhere on the web. So if you can share <laughs> some know, some information for people idea. who would like to get in touch with you, either for your private practice or any classes that you might have on you know on your schedule. Well, for those people, I apologize. <laughs> um, and I'm in the process of putting together a website. I don't have a URL yet. But for the meantime, you can contact me at nbutrin, B-U-T-R-Y-N, at B-C-M-T, dot org that forwards to my personal email account and um, just send me your information and as my website and my new email um, professional email get updated i will send you any and all information that i have thank you all right thank you. excellent so we'll post um, that on uh, our website as well so you can see it there yeah all right we're, so we're wrapping wrap it up. this up okay yeah so the, <laughs> you've been listening to the massage podcast you can find us at massagepodcast.com leave us any messages on our contact page Feel free to contact us by phone, leave us a text message or a voicemail at 303-656-9860. Our next podcast will be on June 21st. Wait, Thanks everybody no, for it listening. It has to be July. July 21st. <laughs> July 2008. 21st. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. Okay. Oh no, wait a minute. We were there. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. But we're going to go back. Okay. <laughs> going back in time. <laughs> Nate, thanks so much again for yeah, thanks, sharing well, everything thank you, you know. Me. Nate's uh, full of wisdom in the massage world. And um, hopefully, we'll have you again. If you think of us, something else you want to share yeah. with the world, you just let us know and we'll have you right back on. Uh, yeah, I, I, come I back even to talk about your fish concerts. Yeah, you know? I was just going <laughs> to say that. I can do that too. But that could be our, our drinking beer episode. And <laughs> there you go. We can just talk about. We can have fun. Like you said, we'll just have fun. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening and have a fabulous day. We'll see you July 21st, 2011.